I'm home. This is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look into video gaming from the classic era until today. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? This is Brian, and this is episode two of Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. I'm at home base today. Um, I go to work in a couple of hours, and I'm just relaxing until my son goes to school, so I figured, hey, why not do an episode? So, here I am, and here we go. A quick check of the email address, the inbox, if you will, and there's nothing there. So, um, if you've listened to episodes 0 and 1, and you wish to get a hold of me and have something to say, preferably something nice, preferably something constructive, uh, you can email the show at arcadeaddictbrian, all one word, at gmail.com. So without any further ado, let's get into the top tens. Okay, this is the first one of this segment, and I'm going to be going from starting at 1976 through 78. This, that's what this one is going to be, and it's going to go all the way to about 1992, at least for arcade games. That's what this is, top 10 arcade games of a particular year. Um, the first one we're going to do is going to be a amalgamation of three years because when I went through my list of games emulation, the games that I remember playing to any cert, uh, to a certain extent, um, I didn't have enough to make a top 10. So I just went from 1972, excuse me, 1976 to 1978. So that's where we are. And here we go. Okay. Um, as a eight to nine year old kid in 76 and 77, I mean, that don't, I didn't go to the mall that much. I didn't discover the mall until 78, just before Space Invaders came out. So, um, but these games were in the arcade at the time when I first started going. So that's what I'm going to go with right now. Let's see. So, and of course, as I've said before, these top tens are in no particular order because I didn't want to expend the brain power trying to put these in in order from 10 to 1. Because as we go forward, especially once we get around 1980 to 1983, it's really hard to do because most of these games I've loved almost equally and trying to put them on a list from 10 to 1 would just give me a headache, and I don't want one. <laughs> okay, so let's start off with uh, Atari Baseball and Atari Football. Now, I remember Atari Baseball... I remember it not being in the arcade. I remember it being in as funny as this sounds in a in I think it was actually in the Bridgeport train station or maybe it was at it was a, at a place near my mother's work my mother worked started working for the uh US Postal Service in New Haven Connecticut right around this time and Every once in a while, um, I would, and I think 
my stepfather, my future stepfather would take me out there to go pick her up. And it's a good 25, 30 minute drive up Interstate 95 from Bridgeport to New Haven. So I would, I think what would happen is, is that I think they would just meet at this one place. She would be coming out of work. We'd be waiting for her and we would just, you know, get her and get in the car and head home. Um, but I remember it, this place had an Atari baseball in it and I was always getting my, trying to get quarters for my mother or my stepfather to go play it. And, you know, that's most of my memories about it. Atari football, on the other hand, um, the arcade in Trumbull Mall had two of them, if I remember correctly. And my memory can be painfully accurate in some ways and kind of vague in others, just like most of us, I guess. Um, Atari football, I remember, that was innovative in so many ways. I mean, it was basically just... Um, X's and O's on the screen and a giant trackball and a pass button and uh, buttons for each play. I remember you had like a running, we had like four running plays and four pass plays, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. And, you know, you basically were just like in football, you were trying to score and, you know, it was, it was fun. I mean, especially when you were playing up against another person, when you're playing against a computer, it, it got kind of brutal in the fact that it was, um, it, the, in the, just the difficulty would ramp up and ramp up as time went on in the game. And I just remember that game being just really popular. Everybody was playing it, you know. But, you know, it was just one of the greater, great games. And, I mean, it had plays, you know, and, I mean, to that, just to that extent, it was innovative. Just the fact you had a playbook to consider when you were, you know, trying to move up the, sp up the field to score. But, yeah, I remember that, and it was a lot of fun. Okay, Clowns. That one was really interesting because it was sort of a takeoff on breakout but it was really different in the fact you had clowns on a seesaw you would launch one clown in the air and you to get balloons and when they would get balloons they would come down you had to reposition your seesaw underneath the clown so he would hit the the, the high part and he would go down and launch the other clown in the air and so forth and so on. I mean, it was, it was really challenging. I mean, especially for, you know, an eight, nine year old kid, it was really, really tough, but I knew a couple of people who were actually really good at it. Um, fire truck. This one was always great. Um, you know, of course you had a fire truck and you were basically driving, you know, a fire truck with a steerable trailer, you know, like those really big uh, ladder company trucks back in the day. And, you know, you're basically trying to drive fast along a street and you're trying to avoid oil slicks and trying to avoid parked cars. And, you know, I believe there was oncoming traffic in some points and it got more and more difficult because the turns on the street would be <clears throat> excuse me the streets on the turn would be uh getting more and more sharp and more and more difficult and of course you have a trailer which is also trying to swing out as you're making turns and it was really difficult to kind of keep it you know on the road but at the very least, it was there. I mean, it. at the very least, it was more or less controllable, just not easy. Um, let's see, Space Wars is another one. That one was awesome because it was almost a direct takeoff on Star Wars. Not Star Wars, excuse me, Star Trek. Jeez, was wrong with me. Um, 
yeah, it was a takeoff on Star Trek. I mean, you had a ship that looked like the Starship Enterprise. You had a ship that looked like a Klingon D7 cruiser. And you're basically starting off on opposite sides of the screen. And I remember I only played that game maybe five times because I very rarely saw it. Um, the only place that I would see it on the regular was the uh, James E. Strait shows that came to town every summer. And I'll be talking about that in a future episode. Um, and they had a Space Wars machine. And I remember um, one time I badgered my older brother into playing me on it. And it was fun because not only were you trying to maneuver your ship to kill the other guy while he was trying to do the same thing, but, you know, there were different uh, things you could do to the actual play field to make it more challenging. Like, you had a sun in the middle or a black hole in the middle, and so gravity comes into play, which affects how your ship flies, and you could use the whatever uh, part in the middle as a slingshot. You could... Uh, I think you could fix it to where you, your ship had either really high inertia or, like, no inertia at all. I think that's what happened. I'm going to have to go into emulation and check this out because, uh, or at least look it up online and just to see all the different things you could do to the play field to make the game more challenging. Um, let's see. Of course, in 1978, Space Invaders... You know, I talked about that in episode one and just the impact it had on the Trumbull Mall arcade was very significant. I mean, just the arcade, I re from what my memories tell me, the arcade didn't, wasn't really that popular, not popular, but there wasn't a lot of people in it during the week. But on the weekends, of course, there'd be tons of people in there. And I just remember that it the foot traffic in that place, once the Space Invaders machine came out, just increased significantly. I remember that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Super Breakout. Uh, that one is always... It, that's just a classic. It's always been a classic for years and years and years. The arcade in Brighton has a machine... I keep meaning to play it, but then I see another machine and I go play that instead. Just for old time's sake, I should go play Super Breakout just for the hell of it. Um, you know, uh, it's, you know, like, a, it's just basically a faster, more challenging version of Breakout. And it's, you know, it got a little crazy. I mean, especially the vague memories I have of Super Breakout, you know, there were different things that would happen. I'm I'm going to have to go back to the arcade in a couple of weeks and just to play this game and see it, you know, just to see it. And that's probably going to trigger some more memories. Seawolf. My earliest memories of this game were, I want to say 77, something like that. And I just remember going, we were going somewhere. I think we might have, actually, I take that back. It was 76. And we were going to um, New York City and we we're taking the train. And we had a little bit of time before um, the train arrived. So I just remember seeing Seawolf and getting a quarter from my mom and playing it and you know it was pretty cool i mean basically it's uh more or less a submarine uh game where you're trying to kill as many enemy ships as possible before time ran out and just get a high score that was a lot of those games back then in the 70s early 70s where they were they were timed out you know where it wasn't just your skills keeping you keeping your game going it was just trying to get as much, as many, I should say, uh, points as you could before time ran out. Uh, whether it be goals, whether it be uh, tank kills, 
whether it be um, trying to get to 21 playing uh, Pong or whatever it was. They were all, like, timed out. Um, so, yeah, I just remember there were, like, cruisers and destroyers and battleships. And the smaller the ship, the more points you got. And there was, like, this little uh, frigate-slash-torpedo boat zipping across the top of the screen. And you had to time it out, but that one netted you the most points. I think it was, like, 800 points or something like that. I barely even remember the scoring uh, the scoring layout, but I remember that was always just an integral part of getting as high a score as you could. So yeah, that's um, Seawolf, Superbug. Is these? It was made by the same uh, company that made Fire Truck, if I'm not mistaken. But basically, it was a um, little yellow Volkswagen Beetle, and you were. You know, I remember it, you know, being a four-speed, uh, four-speed, uh, manual transmission, and basically you drew, drove as fast as you could in the time allotted to get as high a score as you could. And, you know, you had, like I said, just the same thing with, um, fire truck, it was oil slicks, oncoming traffic, um, park traffic, all kinds of stuff. And the faster you went, the more difficult the car was to control. But if you learned how to control it, you could rack up a really good score. Okay, on to the honorable mentions. Um, first one is a Sprint. But I can't remember which one it was. I want to say it's Super Sprint, but I can't remember. But basically, it was a driving game that up to... I think, yeah, two players could play it along with two computer-controlled cars. And you could pick the track you wanted to drive. Uh, and it ranged from a really s sort of simple track all the way up to something really, really complex. And basically, you just wanted to run as many laps as you could in the time allowed before it ran out and the game was over. Um... I remember that was a more or less kind of a staple at the arcade. And I remember, you know, learning that the best way to get around corners was to take them full speed and to whip the wheel as hard as you, as quickly as you could to get the car around the corner and grab the wheel to stop it before you made it like a complete circle or you crashed into something. And um, you just you know, learned how to control the car and you would just go at full speed the whole way through. And I think if you finished it, if you ran four laps, I think, then you got on, went on to another track. I think that's how it went. I might be getting it confused with Super Sprint that Atari made in the, uh, what, I think like 85 or 86 or something like that. But I think it was like that. Um, let's see. Ultra Tank. Um, this one I have, these are some of my earliest video game memories. Um, I believe that, um, my mother used to take us to family reunions, uh, down south. Um, there were some in Virginia, there were some in, uh, Maryland, some in Washington, D.C. There were, I think there, this one was D.C. Uh, I remember... Um, my, you know, just me and my brother, like after the day after we got there and we got, got into the hotel and we got in some sleep, um, we found that there was a Pong machine and a ultra tank machine in the lobby. And my, he would, you know, my, my brother and I would ask for, you know, money from my mother and, you know, she would give us quarters and we would go play. And, if it was 1975, my brother was 11 years old going on 12. I was uh, 7 years old. Or excuse me. Yeah, 6 years old going on 7. And, of course, my brother being old, that much older than me, you know, he was a lot more coordinated and he knew more. He better. He knew better what he was doing. So anytime we would play, he would kick my butt. Whether it was Pong, he would beat me like what? 
15 to 15 to two, you know, 15, you know, 15 to 15 to one, 15 to two, he would just house me. And when we played tank, I didn't quite understand what was going on, but he would try to show me and I would try to do it, but he would, he would just kick the crap out of me. <laughs> um, I remember that. And so, but the thing was, I think we went back to the same, uh, went back to DC in 77 and I remember they still had those two machines in the lobby and I remember giving my brother a little bit better of a fight because now he's what, let's see, 77, he was 13 going on 14 and I was eight going on nine. And yeah, he, and I just gave him much more of a fight, not to mention I was much more of a video game head than he ever was, even though he loved video games. Um, let's see. Um, Night Driver. This one, my first memories of this were 1976, summertime. There was, I was living with my mother and my future stepfather on the east end of Bridgeport, which was really, really rough side of town. And I just remember a couple of blocks from the house I was living in, um, they, there was on the corner of, oh goodness, I'd have to look it up, but I want to say Newfield and Stratford Avenue, there was a uh, ice cream parlor slash candy shop called The Dip and Sip. And that place was a video gaming mecca to me. I mean, I didn't, I've never seen like a full-blown arcade yet. <laughs> you know, I found them all in, you know, in 77, 70, or excuse me, 78, just before Space Invaders hit. And I'd never seen anything like that except in an amusement park. They had like multiple pinball machines and then they had started getting in video games. And one of the video games they had was an actual sit-down version of Night Driver, which was awesome. <laughs> you know, for me being summer 76, I'm what, seven years old? You know, going on eight. And um he and I just remember just constantly playing that game. It was fun. You know, I mean, Night Driver's pretty basic, but it still was a lot of fun. And it's just one of those games where when I see it, you know, in emulation or somewhere else, or if I play Night Driver on the 2600, you know, it brings back all those memories. So, yeah, those are my, you know, those are my top tens. Um, that's from 1976 to 1978. Um, and the next one would, of course, will be 1979. So if you have any questions, comments, or what have you, as long as you keep it civil, <laughs> uh, you can reach me through the show at arcadeaddictbrian.com. And also, we have a phone number for voicemails. That is 734-743-2433. So that's the top tens. So on to story time. Our bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time. Now, I remember that my mother used to take me to the mall. You know, Trumbull Mall. She would take me to both malls, really. She would take me to Trumbull Mall. And she would also take me to um, Lafayette Plaza, which was in downtown Bridgeport. And, you know... I would be with her almost the entire time, although I would start wandering the older I got. So in 1978, I'm nine years old, going on 10. And my mother, you know, took me with her to the mall uh, to go to um, 
if I remember correctly, going to Reed's department store, I think she was looking for some clothes for herself or for me and my brother. And I was getting bored. And by this time, my penchant to wander was <laughs> well known and well documented. I mean, starting when I was six years old at a family reunion at my great grandmother's place and wandering through Virginia, <laughs> you know, you know, walking across one county into another and so forth. But I'll tell that story another time. But suffice it to say that, you know, my attention span for things that didn't interest me was close to zero. And of course, I would start wanting to wander. Anytime my mother went into a department store, I'd always want to go to the toy department and just see what they had. Um, excuse me. And I remember just one day my mother's going through clothes and looking at this and looking at that and figuring out what she's going to buy. And I just got completely bored and I asked her if I could walk around the mall while she's doing this. And she looked at me and she said, you can do that, but you need to be back. You meet me in front of the department store by this time or you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and by this time, I knew not to directly cross my mother because it would go very badly for me. And so, you know, I thanked her and I took off. <laughs> Almost literally. I just remember just running through the store. Sorry about that, folks. My son came in the room. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, I remember getting permission, and I literally took off through the, through the store to get to the mall front. And I started walking around the mall. Um, and so I, I just remember finding toy stores, going in there for a little while, um, checking them out, and then moving along. You know, that's how I found out that they, the mall had two bookstores and had like a mini, didn't have like a full size food court then. Um, they didn't have it quite then. Uh, they had an Italian restaurant. They had a chocolate chip cookie place, which I grew addicted to, even though the chocolate chip cookies were expensive. Um, they had an orange Julius and a couple other things. And then I just remember walking down this one corridor off the uh, food court. And I remember there was like a music shop. I think it was mostly a drum place, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was mostly drums. Then there was a barber shop. Then once I got near the barber shop, I heard sweet music to my ears. I heard video games. And... I just remember just lighting. I mean, I was already excited because, you know, I'm walking around the mall like a, like a grown up and, you know, everything's going fine and I'm finding all kinds of interesting things. But once I heard those sounds, you know, sounds of video games, sounds of pinball machines and that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, it's on now. <laughs> and I remember just going in there and just I, my heart must have been going a, a, a mile a minute and just seeing, you know, the pinball machines and the video games and, you know, watching people playing pool and air hockey, you know, and I was just like, yeah, this is the place for me. I just knew it. You know, I'd already had a fascination with video games just from the limited experience I had had up to that point. But once I found that mall, oh my goodness, it was on and it was cracking. From that point forward, I made it a personal mission to come up here to this mall as often as I could. Um, and I just remember it was you know, just like I said, this was 78 just before Space Invaders hit. I mean, by this point, I was up to my eyeballs in Star Wars. Um, I'd seen the movie 
oh goodness, if this was summer 78, this is when I started doing it. But I used to go to the local movie theater, which is only a couple of blocks from my house, and I would pay for the matinee, which was two dollars, or was it? No, it's a dollar and a half. I think it's a dollar and a half. It's a dollar and a half for the matinee, and I would basically just find a spot and I would just sit there and watch Star Wars multiple times, from. The first matinee, which I think was like 12 o'clock or 12.30, something like that, all the way up until when I started getting tired when the 8 o'clock show would go around. Now we're talking Star Wars is like two hours and one minute total. That's before all the uh, uh, the enhanced edition came out in the late 90s. Um, so we're talking seeing that movie at least three times a day, sometimes four. And, you know, know, that's just what I did. I mean, I love Star Wars. And then Battlestar Galactica would come out later in 78. And that further uh, fired up my imagination. It was like I'd already had that pension because I've been watching Star Trek since I was a little kid. Since I was like four years old, maybe, when it was on in reruns and stuff like that. But so I already had this stuff in me and then all of a sudden I find a video game arcade and it's just, it's over, (laughs) you know, as it turns out, um, I do have a penchant for addiction and this was what I was addicted to. It could have gone a lot worse for me. You know, it could have been alcohol. It could have been drugs. could have been any, a whole bunch of other things, but thank goodness that it was this, although in a future episode, I'll talk about the, uh, downsides to being such a video game head and we'll just leave it at that. Um, but I remember just being in that arcade and just being around the machines, watching people play. Cause I didn't have any money on me. Of course, I'm an, I'm an, uh, eight year old kid or excuse me, nine year old kid. And and so I'm just watching people play and watching them play air hockey and stuff like that and watching them play pool, you know, it was really cool. And, you know, I, it just, I just felt it, this was the place for me to be. I don't know why, you know, I don't know how, but it just felt right. So yeah, that's when the video game addiction started and you know, and it's continued through on this very day. I mean, it's to, to, at this point, I couldn't consider myself an addict because I don't sacrifice what needs to be done, like paying the bills, buying food, buying clothes, you know, taking care of my son, things like that. I don't sacrifice any of those things to go play video games. Although <laughs> there was a time in my teenage preteen and teenage years where yeah that's all I wanted to do more than anything else and that's what I did so yeah that's pretty much story time for now um there will be another one coming up in if I'm looking at the schedule here episode number six that's my next uh my next uh episode of story time so without any further ado Let's move on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Hobie, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arsed in the heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cookie. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Okay, asteroids. Now, it's 1979. I'm nine years old, going on ten. Um, By this time, I'm going to the arcade... And going to the mall at least, I'd say probably once a week. Um, Usually on the weekends. Um, 
And, you know, by this time, I'm pretty well known in the, you know, in the arcade. Uh, Carlo, who ran the place, um, he, he, you know, he knows me at this point because, you know, I keep showing up there, <laughs> you know, whether I've got money or not. Um, I remember when the Asteroids machine showed up and this game was pretty revolutionary and I'll go into it from my perspective in a moment, but let me do some, give you a little bit of background information. Asteroids is an arcade space shooter released in November 1979 by Atari Incorporated and designed by Lyle Rains, Ed Logg, and Dominic Walsh. The player controls a spaceship in an asteroid field, which is periodically traversed by flying saucers. The object of the game is to shoot and destroy asteroids and saucers while not colliding with either or being hit by the saucer's counterfire. The game becomes harder as the number of asteroids increases. Asteroids was one of the first major hits of the golden age of arcade games. And they have a link on this. And... Golden Age of Arcade Games. They want to say it was from 1978. It's it's a disputed time, but they want to say the beginning was 78 with the release of Space Invaders. All the way up to about 1983. That's what I would I would I would go with that. I would definitely go in that go with that. Because I do remember in 83, there was a lot of uh, arcades and places being shut down. And a lot of stores were stopped carrying video games for that reason. Okay. The game sold over 70,000 arcade cabinets and provide both popular, improved both popular with players and influential with, influential with developers. It has been since ported to multiple platforms. Uh, Asteroids was widely imitated and directly def- influenced the games Defender and Gravatar and also many other video games. Okay. Yeah. This, I remember, yeah, it was about the winter of 79 when it came to the arcade. I want to say it was, I, I don't think it was November. I think it was December. December 79, I believe. It might have been November, but I think it was December. Um, yeah, I remember just like Space Invaders in, in the year before, and by, and by the way, the arcade still had Space Invaders and was still doing pretty halfway decent business. Um, Asteroids was just one of those that everybody crowded right around that game, right there. I mean, it was something to behold. I mean, it was revolutionary in that. It was just one of those games that it was, you know, free, you know, free flowing. You could fly anywhere. You know, you were shooting asteroids. You could shoot, you know, shooting saucers or they were shooting you. There they were shooting you. And, you know, it was just awesome to see the sound effects were just fat and just awesome. You know, the, the Jaws theme in the background while there are uh, a lot of asteroids on the screen and start off slow. And as you destroyed more and more asteroids, the, the music would pick up and your heart rate would increase and things like that. And then the saucers would start coming out, especially the, you know, the, the small saucer, the large saucer, <laughs> You know, at least in my experience, it was always a bit of an embarrassment if you got shot down by the large saucer. Because the large saucer would shoot more or less randomly. I think it was like, if I remember, I remember reading it somewhere. I think it was How to Master the Video Games. I'd have to look it up. But I think it was like one in every 16 shots that the saucer would take was directed, it was directed it at you the other times they were just spraying shots around and every so often they would shoot an asteroid or something like that you know more often than not they would either get shot down by you or collide with another asteroid um the let's see let's break it down even further 
of scoring. I believe large asteroids were 20 points. Medium-sized asteroids were 50 points. And the small asteroids were 100. I think that's how it's broken down. The large saucers were 200 points. And the small saucers were 1,000. Um, so, like I said, you know, more often than not, the large a saucer would either get shot down by you or, or an asteroid would just run into it and that would be that for him. The small saucer, however, as soon as you saw it, saw it uh, appear on one corner of the screen, you immediately started, immediately just thrusted and got as far away from it as you could and tried to pick it off either using your ship's slightly greater range or you tried to be clever and shoot one side of the screen where your shots would wrap around and would kill the saucer on the other side of the screen. And that was a bona fide strategy because you didn't try to just run towards it and try to shoot it that way because the close, you know, it's the thing that little saucer in the beginning, when it first started coming out right around 5,000 to 6,000 points, they weren't horribly accurate. But as you, as the game went on, the things became almost preternaturally accurate where they would predict where your ship was going to be flying to. And they would shoot in that particular spot. And you would just, if you were thrusting in one particular direction, you'd run right into that shot and it would kill you. And it was just, you know, a little frustrating and whatnot, but at the same time, it was so much fun. And there were guys, and I knew and by this time I had gotten to know some of the regulars in the arcade that would show up. And most of these guys would do the one asteroid hunting method. Basically, what they would do is they would get on the first screen, they would shoot all the asteroids except for one small or medium one, depending on how fast it flew, and then they would just start just flying across the screen at full thrust and waiting for saucers to come out. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like four or five large saucers would come out first, but then after that, then the small saucers would start coming out. And they would just rack up a score doing that. I tried doing that when I was a kid, but I wasn't quite as... Of course, I'm a nine-year-old kid at this point, almost ten. And I just wasn't as good as some of these guys. I mean, at this point, you know, some of the older guys, like uh, Steve Swit, you know, he's like, oh my god, I want to say he's like... Ugh, I'd probably say he's like 16, 17. I knew that guy for quite some time. I mean, he was really good at video games. I mean, I knew him, uh, my friend Eric Beatus. You know, shout out to Eric. You know, I know he's probably still living in Connecticut. Last I heard from him, he's was married and had had a kid. And I had, but that was a long time ago. I think that was... Last time I saw him was like, what, 2000? Yeah, I think it was 2000 when I went home for, uh, I went home to visit my family in 2000. I think this was the last time I saw him. So that's almost 20 years. Hmm. I'm going to see if he's on Facebook after the show's over because I'd love to get a hold of him. But anyway, um, I digress. Um, so yeah, I mean, these guys, they would use that method to just get like, high, really, really high scores, and, you know, I wasn't that good at it, so I just played the game conventionally, you know, just shoot the asteroids as quickly as you could, get rid of the saucers as quickly as you could, and just go from there. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think the highest score I ever got on asteroids is like, Oh, goodness. I think that was when I I had been living in Florida for a little while, but it was before I moved to Orlando. And there was a... I used to work in the supermarket in this little shopping center uh, on the... Oh, goodness. I want to say the north side of Melbourne. And 
there was this there was this bar that had an asteroids machine in it and you know either on my lunch break or after i got off shift i would go over there and you know you know play for a little while i think the highest score i ever got was like oh what a hundred and hundred twenty thousand i think maybe a hundred thirty and you know i mean anytime i see an asteroids machine i play it just you know to see if i've still got it <laughs> you know that's kind of important when you reach my age um I played Asteroids actually last week at uh, the arcade in Brighton. They have Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe, and I avoid Asteroids Deluxe by the pl- like the plague. By the way, it's way too hard of a game. Um, I played Asteroids and I got a respectable score of forty four thousand, and that's after I hadn't played a serious game of Asteroids in a bunch of years. But yeah, so. Um, yeah, so my, my tactic was to just play it conventionally, you know, destroy all the asteroids as quickly as possible, get onto the next, uh, next board, you know, and, you know, then you have to deal with more asteroids and more asteroids after that. And then you get around, I want to say, oh goodness, I want to say like 20,000, maybe a little higher, maybe 30. Now saucers are coming out quickly. I mean, from, like, within the first 10 seconds of the wave starting. And one of my favorite tactics was just just shoot the larger asteroids to make little ones, as many little ones as possible, so that the, uh, just the fly, asteroids flying around, the chances of it the, them colliding with a saucer coming out on screen before I'm ready to deal with it is very high. Now, of course, the problem with that is, is that as you're, once you do that, you have to have expand your sphere of responsibility. Um, that's a fighter pilot term, um, where you have to be aware of what's around you and what is possibly going to endanger you. And in asteroids, mean that means you have to constantly, while you're moving around and shooting asteroids and dodging enemy fire and shooting back at saucers, you have to also look around in your periphery to see if there's an asteroid that's on a collision course with your ship, either where you're standing or where you're headed. And then you kind of have to deal with it, as in you have to turn your ship either thrust in a different direction to get out of the path of that asteroid, which can be dangerous because then that puts you in the path of another asteroid. But one of the things that I learned how to do was, is that if you're flying, let's say from left to right, and there is an asteroid that's moving towards you almost head on, but at an angle, and I learned how to use the thrust and to use the controller, the left and right controls to swing the ship around, to go around behind the asteroid, you know, to go behind its path and then line myself up for a shot to take it out. And, you know, of course, that requires you always being aware of other asteroids flying around and what is there a possible other danger I mean, I remember there were a couple of times I played that game where I've done that once, but that puts me in the path of another asteroid. And I remember shooting the the first asteroid, quickly maneuvering to shoot the second, and then a third one coming at me and being like a pixel away from dying, but somehow I'm able to survive it. And, you know... That gives you a bit of a sense of accomplishment when you're able to do something that clever. It kind of makes you feel like Han Solo in The Empire Strikes Back when he's flying through the asteroid field. But yeah, so um, so as a kid who frequented the arcade a lot and of course didn't have a lot of money, um, I would watch other guys play. And I would watch the guys that I knew play who were learning you know learning the game and they were getting better they were better than me of course but they weren't experts there's this one guy i remember i don't know who he was i learned his name was charlie and he was an older guy i'd say if i you know i'd say he's probably in his 30s 
and you know he always was in there and he always had shades on and you know he carried himself i hate to say it like this it might have been my imagination but he carried himself like an fbi agent something like that i mean he always had a suit on when he came in there he could have for all i knew he could have been like just like a manager at one of the stores or whatever, but that's how he carried himself. And he was really good at asteroids from the jump. I mean, anytime he came in, I knew what he, where he was going and what he, you know, what he was going to do. Cause I think he only played asteroids and he was really, really good. I mean, we're talking like 79, you know, late 79, early 1980. And he was putting up like scores of like 70,000, 80,000, you know, he was an expert at that game. I mean, I picked, I learned more about that game from him than any, anybody else at that point, you know, cause, and he was willing to kind of, you know, talk to me about, you know, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you know when this happens? And he would tell me, you know, and after a while, it was we got to know each other on a first name basis. It was kind of funny, you know, because either I would walk in the arcade and he'd be playing, or I'd be in the arcade hanging out or playing another game, and I'd see him come in, and I knew he'd make a beeline straight to the asteroids machine, and I would just take up my normal space on the side of the machine, um, and just, you know, be able to look at the, look at what he was doing. You know, I'd be like, Hey, Charlie, he'd be like, Hey, Brian. And you know, he'd start playing and I would just watch him. And the guy was just really good. So, you know, and I still play Asteroids to this day. It was one of the first cartridges I got for my Atari 2600. Um, and anytime I see an asteroids machine and I've got a little time and I've got a quarter, I'm going to play it. And that's just how it is. And I love the game. I loved it when I first started playing it when I was a kid. And I love it to this day. So that's it for our experienced. If you've got any comments, uh, questions, anything like that, you can email the show at arcadeaddictbrian.com. Or you can call us and give call me us this is a one-man operation what am i talking about you can call me and you know leave a voicemail and the number is 734-743-2433 okay and on to the last segment of the show which is an arcade run i did back in december of last year so let's get on the road December 16, 2017. The time is 7.42 p.m. Yeah, I spent a good five hours at the arcade, you know, playing games, putting up scores. I mean, I'm not as good as some people, but I'm passable at a lot of games. <laughs> a lot of cute girls there, too. Apparently, this is a date destination because, oh my goodness, there were a couple girls there that were like, wow. And by girls, I mean grown women. Especially this one. It was built like a short Valkyrie. <laughs> wow. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. You know, I just played a lot of games. And <clears throat> I'm finding that... I can still kind of get into the actual gaming headspace. That always could. Oh, excuse me. 
you know, it's just a matter of just relaxing and remembering that I've played a lot of these games before, and that I do better when I'm not so immersed in it, that I'm kind of in a, how should I put it, a sort of a flow state, that's probably the best way to put it just where I'm kind of going with it and just letting my hands play the game and just keep on going. I mean, I put up 350000 on Robotron and that, to me, that's impressive because, I mean, I was, I mean, I'm no, nowhere near like Greg from an Arcade Impossible who can put up $10 million just sitting there shout out to him um you know I'm not I don't consider myself an expert I think you have to pretty much consistently score at the very least 750,000 to be considered an expert at Robotron but 350,000 when I haven't actually played the arcade machine of course, I have it on emulation, and I play it every once in a while, but it's not the same thing. You know, you're not standing at the machine in the game player's stance, that kind of thing. And I just realized that, you know, I'm a little too tense. Whoa, some black ice under the bridge there. Um, I'm just a little too tense when I'm playing one to start. I mean, today I didn't do all that great at Tempest despite my, you know, despite my best efforts. I mean, I could still clear the blue, sh the blue uh, geometric levels and go into the red ones, but you know, I should be able to get through the red and into the light blue. I should be able to do that, but I just haven't been able to. Um, I have to put a lot more time and practice into Tempest. It's one of those kind of games, and you know, I'm watching this one guy who set a Twin Galaxies world record. Uh, what was it? Three guys, no bonus guys on the hardest settings of the game. And he did pretty good. It was actually pretty interesting to watch. But, um, and I was playing Star Wars, and it's kind of funny because I remember when I used to play Star Wars, I used to rock that game. I mean, two million points was not unheard of back in the, back in the day. I mean, I could start on the old, not the old, on the expert level, which gives you a bonus of 800,000 points when you destroy the Death Star. But, yeah, I'm just like... I, I, that's just a sign of me getting old, that I'm pretty much... That the game is, like, moving faster than my ability to react to it. And it wasn't, all, wasn't the case when I was younger. I could easily put up 1.7, 1.8... 1.9 million on the machine without seriously trying. I mean, of course, my counterparts back in my arcade days, arcade, you know, uh, mall rat days, you know, and all those guys were better at the games than I was. And they could put up 2.4, 2.5 million, something like that. But yeah, I mean, um, that's another game that I have to practice more. But it's kind of hard because if you play it in emulation, you have to tweak the settings and retweak the settings and retweak the settings. But there's also something else I'm finding out when it comes to playing arcade games. That even when I'm playing them at home, you know, on the various uh, 
uh, compilations on my PlayStation 2 or on my Xbox 360, you know, something like that. And this is a holdover from my arcade days because I didn't have a lot of money when I played. But my whole thing is, is that I find every time I play and you know, play a game, you know, especially one I'm familiar with, that I'm gunning for the high score. I'm trying to beat that game. I am seriously trying to beat it. And the problem is, is that when it holds over to when I'm trying to practice, you know, trying, basically trying to practice, you know, trying, you know, different strategies and different ways of do, doing things in whatever game I'm playing, you know, and then all of a sudden I just go into that, I'm a broke video game addict mode. I've got this quarter, I've got to make it last as long as possible, you know, no matter what game I'm playing, whether it's Ms. Pac-Man, Defender, uh, Galaga, um, just any any of those games. And it kind of, you know, and I, that's a mode I kind of got to get out of. I mean, for God's sakes, I'm 49 years old and I'm in an arcade where every machine in the place is on free play. You pay your $15 at the door and you can play from the time they open at like 12 o'clock until the place closes at midnight. If, you know, if you've still got the stamina to do that. <laughs> and I don't think I do. I mean, I play five, six hours and I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much toast. Although I wasn't as beat up as I was the first time I went to the arcade. I was there from like 12.30 until after, well after 6. So I was there for like 6 hours and yeah, I was feeling it. You know, there's a little bit of elbow soreness. You know, a little tennis elbow feeling. It's a tendon probably in my, in my right arm. But at the same time, it's like no big deal. I mean, it, I'm not hurting anywhere near as bad as the first time. But what I'm trying to say is, is that it's a, it's a mindset that I've always been in, that from the moment I drop the quarter or I hit start, that I've got to, that I can't screw around. And whether or not I'm, you know, whether I'm kicking ass at the game or whether, you know, whether or not I'm kicking ass at the game or if I'm trying to reacquaint myself with the game. You know, it's just a mindset that I've had for a long, long time. And it's something I need to break out of, especially now that, quite honestly, money doesn't matter anymore. All I need is the $15 <laughs> to go in there. And the good thing is, is that they've got a special on Sunday. And it's like, they're open from like, they, what is it, 2 to 8? 2 p.m. to 8 p.m.? And... Um, it's only $10. I think on Fridays is 20. Uh, Fridays is 20, Saturdays is 15, and Sundays is 10. So if I'm really looking to save a little, just save just a little bit of money, I can just go there on Saturday and rock the place until close to closing. And then come down and take care of the home care I've got to do. And then go home. And then that's pretty much my day. But, yeah, we'll see about that. It's an idea, but we'll see if it actually comes to, comes to pass. Okay, I just pulled in to the parking lot at home. So, just another little thing with me just expounding on some thoughts that I have. So, until next time. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail 
number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. <laughs>